This is episode 109 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to thank those who have already signed up on Patreon to get access to bonus audio and also help support the podcast. So if you're interested in doing that, getting access to bonus audio means diving deeper into the interviews that we have with the guests on the Landscape Photography Show and talking with them about the topics, just diving that much deeper into those discussions. Everyone who signs up for Patreon, we have different tiers and budgets to fit everyone's lifestyle, five, 10, or $20 a month. That just helps the podcast continue and also gives you access to specific benefits based on those tiers. If you want access to that, we're going to be talking further with our guests today about several of the topics that we discuss in today's podcast episode. It's patreon.com slash David Johnston to sign up for that and get access to that bonus audio. Speaking of today's guest, we're talking with Australian photographer Ben Mays. You know, as a younger photographer, 21 years old, it was amazing talking with Ben about some of the things that he had experienced, decisions and life choices he had already made as a young photographer to reach his goals, and also his experience as an Australian photographer. You know, I've spoken on the podcast with guys like Jeff Freestone, and it was cool to hear Ben's approach to Australian landscape photography and Jeff. Jeff's approach. One of the things I've found both with my experience with Australian photographers and Australians in general is they're very introspective. Um, They're very thoughtful about all of their answers and they actually do listen to the questions and the points that I have to make during the discussion too. And that's not to say all guests don't do that. It's just to say it seems like they really soak it in. When, when you ask a question, they soak it in and they want to really thoughtfully answer to give the best possible eloquation of their words on how they want to address a topic. And I thought that was really interesting with Ben, not only as an Australian, but also as a younger photographer too. So in this podcast episode, we're talking with Ben with a lot of different topics, both being a young up-and-comer all the way to historical Australian style of photography. That much coming up. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Ben Mays. Ben joining us from Southern Australia today. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. You know, what I always like to have people do is is introduce themselves to our audience. Uh, I would love to hear, and and this is new to me too, you know, I've, I've read through your website, I, I know who you are and kind of the style in which you shoot, but, but I would love to hear your story into photography, what led you into it and what led you to the point you're at right now? Um, yeah, so kind of, as I've grown up my whole life, I've always been into the arts and you know, when I was a kid, I was drawing and painting. Um, I just, yeah, I was always doing that, spending my free time um, going through sketchbook after sketchbook. And um, yeah, like I, I, I used to be into like drawing these little kind of fantasy creatures and all that when I was younger. And um, in primary school, we'd bring them in for show and tell and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
so yeah, kind of cre- creative pursuits have always been my thing, and I always uh, knew I wanted to do, to do something in that vein um, in my life. Um, and then, kind of when I was about maybe thirteen, fourteen, I started to pick up my dad's old Nikon D seventy. I think I was about six megapixels. Mm-hmm. Um, and loaded, loaded. Oh yeah, it's plenty, plenty. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I, you know, started taking photos of like the dog in the backyard and flowers in the sunlight and all that kind of stuff, just the classic stuff. Um, and then yeah, just really clicked with it very quickly. Um, and so that kind of became the next uh, creative outlet that I really was passionate about, and that just never stopped. Um, so it's been. So that was what, so I'm 21 now. So that was maybe eight years ago. Um, and yeah, so I've just been hit the ground running for the last eight years or so. And um, I really started getting into the landscapes in a, maybe about a year or two later because uh, my grandparents live in the Blue Mountains in um, New South Wales over here, which is about an hour and a half from where I live. And so, you know, even before I got into photography, I'd be going on, you know, bushwalks with them and seeing waterfalls and, um, clifftop vistas and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I'd start bringing my camera and tripod along to that. Um, and then in 2015, my family went on holidays to both Tasmania, which is the southernmost state in Australia, and also New Zealand, which was my first overseas experience. And um, yeah, that just kind of solidified my love for the landscapes and, you know, experiencing proper mountains, which mainland Australia really doesn't have. Um, and seeing like those snow-capped peaks and glaciers in New Zealand and uh, the fjords of Milford Sound, it just really, um, yeah, just solidified that that's what I was passionate about. And so, yeah, I know until I got my license, I was bugging my mum to <laughs> my mum and dad to take me up early for sunrise shoots um, on Saturdays when I was free. Um, and then, you know, once I got my license. Um, I was doing it, you know, when I didn't have to be studying for the HSC, which is our high school certificate in year 12 over here. Um, I'd go out on a Saturday if the conditions were looking good. Um, and then 2019, because I didn't have much time in year 12 to do that, in, like during school, I just kind of, I was going out, you know, several days a week, most weeks. And I, yeah, like if I had $20 to my name, I'd spend $10 to fill up, you know, a quarter of my tank with petrol so I could drive an hour and a half down the coast for a high cloud sunrise. Um, yeah, I just, I've never had so much kind of creative energy that I just, I did not care whether I had the resources or not to do it. I had to do it. And so 2019 was a very productive year for me. Um, and then, you know, naturally COVID here for the last two years. So haven't so much been able to do very much photography. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of led to where I am today. Um, I was originally going to be studying photography at university, but decided to yeah go against that and not spend you know thirty thousand dollars and three years of my life doing doing that stuff when I have to really regain the momentum all over again once I've finished. Um, and so I just yeah for the last few years, last year I was working in a camera shop, which helped me get some gear, nice and cheap, and then this year I've been doing photography full time. Which you is, happy yeah, with just, your decision? Oh, so happy. I'm, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know where I'd be if I went to university, but I definitely wouldn't be where I am now. Um, and so, yeah, during the day, days at the moment, since January, I've been in real estate photography, which is, you know, not something I'm super passionate about, but it pays the bills and, um, 
I'm starting to kind of get into the, the nicer end of the property market instead of the crappy little tenanted apartments and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so that, that's a good supplementary income, uh, but I'm really keen to keep working on my landscape work and make that a much bigger part of, yeah, how I earn, earn a living. And um, yeah, the past year has kind of seen that start to gradually increase, which is really exciting. And I'm keen to see where the, where the next few years take me. You know, several people that I've had on the podcast talk about a, a, an upbringing in the arts, whether that be drawing or painting. And they always say, you know, I, I wasn't very good at it. So I took up photography mm. and, and they always say, if I could do those things, uh, I would mm. do those instead of photography. You, you went the other way around. Why, why do you yeah. think that is? I don't know. Like, yeah, I was, you know, to like, I know my own ability and I like, I think I was actually good at that stuff. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really clicked with photography. Um, just being able to interpret the natural world. I know it's a bit more instantaneous as well. There's a lot um, painting and drawing is a real labor of love. And um, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. Like, for example, in my HSC, uh, I did visual arts um, and had to produce a body of work. And I did one naturally based on landscapes. And um, as well as, I think, providing about 12 photos, I also produced three large scale oil paintings um, and three chalk, like three large scale charcoal drawings as well. And I was really proud of the outcomes of those, but man, it took me like three months on one of those paintings alone. And um, so it's pretty intense and there's a lot to it and it's expensive buying, you know, paints and all that stuff. Um, not to say that photography isn't expensive because we'll all spend, you know, a few thousand on lenses <laughs> and all that stuff. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it. Although I loved those things growing up and when I do occasionally revisit them, I still enjoy them. Uh, photography is just has been what's clicked with me most. You mentioned the last two years doing COVID uh, and, and trying to do photography during that, but, but really not having that much opportunity to do so. What's that been for mm -hmm. you as a younger photographer who felt all this momentum building up and then it mm. kind of just gets shut down. Is that debilitating yeah. for you creatively? Um, it wasn't too, I mean, yeah, it was a bit, I mean, I had uh, a trip for Tasmania lined up at the start of last year, I think I've had like, so basically I've had four trips to, to Tasmania canceled Um I've been trying to get back there since I had an amazing trip in 2019 there. Um, and yeah, I've been trying to revisit ever since and I've had, had that canceled four times and I'm finally able to go back this January. So stuff like that was pretty, pretty frustrating. Um, and yeah, there, there were times during our lockdowns where, um, yeah, I just had all this, I feel like kind of exploratory energy like i just wanted to get out there but couldn't um and i was in a pretty hardcore lockdown for about three months as well um so that was rough um in terms of just wanting to get out and pursue photography but at the same time it I, it allowed me to work on other stuff as well i you know i don't have a ridiculous back catalog now like a lot of people <laughs> have the blessing and curse of um because i just had all the time to work through and find all the photos that were worth editing um and just worked on like the business side of my photography rather than just purely getting out and taking shots um and so now i feel like ha having the last couple of years you know i've rebuilt my website i've set up 
um, editing instruction services and portfolio critique services. And I've just started, you know, offering video tutorials and stuff like that. Um, and having, you know, really had that time to solidify my own style and all that has allowed me to have a really strong foundation to just now go out and create for a while, I think, um, just start actually taking new photos now that we're out of lockdown. Um, so I'm really excited for that. You know, if you look back uh, over the last, let's say, five to six years in, in your photographic journey, mm. how have you changed as a photographer? Yeah, I think there was a lot of a lot of progression in the last three years. I think, um, you know, I, maybe four years ago, you'd find me shooting um, like ocean pools and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't do that anymore at all. Um, I, you know, maybe shoot five or six compositions out of sunrise. I'll maybe shoot two these days, um, just to really fine tune what I've like my composition and everything. Um, I've you know, moved much more towards intimate landscapes as well. Um, you know, back, you know, 2017, 2018, um, it was all wide angle stuff. And these days it's kind of 50, 50, the wide angle epic scenes, which I still really love, but then another 50% is just, yeah, those really, those abstract and intimate scenes that I just see everywhere now and just really love shooting and find a lot of creative fulfillment in that. Um, so yeah, I'd say probably, probably that progression in, um, style and subject matter, um, is probably the, the biggest change that over the last few years. Is there a bird outside? Yeah. My windows are closed, but I think there's some, um, <laughs> like some crows that are just going at it. <laughs> That's amazing. I was, I was hearing that as I was talking, I was like, I wonder if that'll make it through to the microphone. <laughs> it will. And it's staying yeah. in the podcast for sure. Yeah. Well, um, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, What's. <laughs> yes it's just it's very natural that's, that's where we are absolutely absolutely <laughs> um you know it's funny i had uh jeff freestone another australian photographer on not too long mm -hmm. ago just a couple months ago and i asked him the mm -hmm. question you know do australian photographers get the credit that they deserve on the international scale of landscape mm -hmm. photography what's your take on that um i think yeah, I think at least a while ago, probably not. Um, except, you know, we've got, I'm not sure. Have you guys ever in the USA, are you familiar with Ken Duncan? Is that a name that name. rings a bell? Yeah, like, I mean, he's Australia's like superstar landscape photographer. He's old, like older now. And he really did that panoramic sort of style with film and all that. Um, but I mean, when it comes to kind of this, the more current style, um, like what I shoot in, sort of what Jeff shoots in as well, it's really not as world renowned as, you know, the European and American photographers that shoot in the same style. Um, so yeah, I, I'd probably agree that not so much. Um, but I think with the increasing, you know, increasingly small borders between, you know, uh, other nations, you know, with social media and all of that and how we can all interact regardless of where we are, I think that's becoming increasingly less um, of a, of a gap, I, I suppose. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I, and I mean, the style we do sh that I shoot in at least is very much more an American European style. Um, more classic Australian photographers very much had their own 
sort of style, like very four by five, maybe like a sliver of sky up the top, like Peter Dombrovskis and um, guys like, uh, yeah, some other like guys that live in Tasmania and all that kind of stuff. Um, the kind of classic Australian style was very, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't necessarily on the international scale, but it was recognisable when you do come to recognise it. Um, so I don't really know if that's an answer to the question at all. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I know I, a little bit, I suppose, but increasingly less so. How do you think that that style came to be? I mean, if if American and European are, are similar in style, um, mm. and they might be a, a little bit different based upon subject matter mm. that you have the ability to shoot in, of course. Mm. But but how do you think the Australian style that you described came to be? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it was it was probably formed more so when you know film photography was bigger and four by five kind of ratios and all that. Um, but I, I, I suppose it kind of it would evolve as any style would evolve within um, any region, really. Once, you know, the local photographers, um, the local renowned photographers are shooting within that, then the community of photographers around them are naturally going to gravitate more towards that. And so it just would, um, it's kind of like evolution, you know, like how a species would evolve within a certain area. Um, I suppose it's the same with photography styles so you know even in the usa you know it's more going to be bold colors and contrast whereas um you know over in europe i see more kind of desaturated sort of color styles a bit more color graded and um all that sort of thing um and then over here in australia we're kind of i know i probably lean more towards the usa sort of style but yeah i think it's just a matter of the community around you and it's all just naturally going to evolve with um your peers and if you're all kind of gravitating towards the same style then it'll just further separate into its own little branch i guess you know i want to go back to the creativity uh question that i had before the crows threw me off my game uh a second ago <laughs> you you wrote an article on flow state uh in photography how do you yourself prepare for going into flow state? And, and what, one of the things that I've always sought to discover is, is being able to trigger flow state yourself before you get into the field and, and start your journey, uh, whether you're backpacking for a few days or just going out for an afternoon shoot. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, in this kind of article I wrote, uh, one of the key things that I identified is familiarity. Um, and I think, you know, looking at studies of flow state um, with the actual psychologists and stuff that have looked into it, um, to really foster it, you need to be uh, performing a task that you feel confident in and that you have the, you, you know that you have the ability to achieve the desired outcome in, but that you're also feeling challenged in. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of confidence comes from both knowing your subject matter and knowing your own ability and knowing your gear as well. Um, just it, it all adds up and just, I think when you, uh, when flow state is thrown into a new situation with barely any time to breathe, um, it really struggles to thrive. And so if you, you know, one of the points I've from that, um, that I made in the article was that really encouraging a slower approach to photography, you know, not, 
um, just location hunting, visiting one spot for sunrise, the next for sunset, all that kind of stuff. You know, if you have the time, spending a, a few days at a location and just really getting to know it and knowing the intricacies and the ins and outs and how it interacts with the light and, um, yeah, just all of that I think can really help foster that um, sense of flow state in your creativity and your photography. Um, so, yeah, familiarity I'd say is one of those key things. Do you know who Colleen Minnick is? Yes. So Colleen studied something very similar to what you're describing in terms of your creative expression and, and how it comes out and how you're able to express it during signs of stress or, um, you know, experiences that are a little bit too easy and, and also using um, some Zen Buddhist theory and, and theology with it called Mushin and Shoshin saying, you know, you, you are supposed to use that slow photography approach and mm. to kind of feel out the, the process of, of flow state and, and find things that you typically normally wouldn't find, but also go into an experience like you've never been there before, like no preconceived notions on mm. what there is when, when you get out there to shoot. Are you doing those yeah. things with, without even knowing it? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think when I, if I look back to like, I'm not doing the Buddhist stuff. I've never, cause I've never heard that before. Um, the, those kind of practices, but um, I know just, it's not, it's rarely been deliberate. I don't think it's ever been deliberate, but um, cause I've just kind of looked back to, and reflected on those times where I have experienced it and noticed a common theme. Um, and so, yeah, like for the case study that I use in my article um, it's, uh, a place that I'd visited several times and had just kind of had ideas of how to shoot it building up um, for, you know, the several times that I had visited it without a camera. So I was basically visiting this spot, just taking abstract photos of sandstone and rocks. And so that it's by in no way like a popular composition or a vista that people have taken photos before because, you know, they're abstract photos of rocks that I've never seen photos of. And so there's very much no expectations there. Um, and then other times, you know, where I maybe wasn't so familiar with the area, but um, I just had never really seen photos of it before. And so I get in and I see all this potential without any kind of preconceived notion of like, okay, this person's got this before. I'm naturally going to gravitate towards that because that's a preconceived idea I have in my head. Um, yeah. Whereas when you go in without, you know, those kind of popular compositions that you've seen a million times on Instagram and you just see unlimited potential in an area, then I think you're going to be much more productive and just really get into that Zen mode where, yeah, you just, your creativity goes to town and it's, it's good fun. How, how have you been able as somebody who is is as young as you are and a photographer been able to kind of shun the uh let's say instagram culture and shoot you know one composition over and over and over to get mm -hmm. that popularity but shun that a little bit and and go out and photograph those abstract sandstone rocks yeah um I don't know. I've always just done photography as my own pursuit. Um, and, you know, I've wanted to, you know, make it my living f 
for a long time and I'm still not there yet. Um, I don't know if I ever will be, but um, while I'd love to make that my career, it's always ultimately about me just wanting to take photos and the love of the art form and the love of nature and expressing that in whichever way my creative, my creativity is driving me to do so. Um, and so the goal, the motivation is not Instagram. The motivation is not clout. It's not getting likes and retweets or shares or whatever. It's creating art that I'm passionate about. And that just naturally changes and evolves as you grow and develop as an artist, I think. Um, and so I've always kind of had the approach of, if I am going to do this as a profession, I want it to be because people appreciate it for how I want to do things, how I shoot. Um, I never wanted to start to compromise my artistic direction to accelerate that process, if you know what I mean. Um, mm. Yeah, like I've wanted to grow organically based on a true audience that appreciates exactly how I want to shoot and my own um, creativity. Um, and so, you know, while I did kind of do the classic location straight out of high school, um, and I visited those a fair few times. That was more because I was inspired by those locations and I had seen them before, but I'm, I just hadn't had the chance to visit them. And so I chased after those for a bit and just really enjoyed shooting them. But I'm not just going back and forth to them to try and get the next banger that was taken at that spot. You know, um, I've, I've got those shots and I'm content with them. And, and now I'm more keen on exploring and finding something new. Are you comfortable being called an up and comer in landscape photography? I think so. I think um, I don't see that as a negative term. Um, if, if anything, it's I take that as a compliment. If I am, you know, if I'm coming up, then that's a good sign, right? <laughs> um, I'm not just kind of, yeah, I'm always pushing myself and I know I'm young. I'm not, I haven't had long in the game um, in terms of, you know, the, uh, international reputation stuff or whatever. Like I'm still very much small time in terms of, uh, I don't know, people knowing about me having a reputation, but, um, up and coming, I guess it suggests growth and I'm, I'm happy with that. When do you think that point is though, that, that you actually make it? I don't know. I think, Making it, I see, is like being able to fully sustain myself on mm -hmm. landscape photography. But it's not this idealized goal that I'm just crazy set on. You know, like three years ago, my biggest goal was to be able to, you know, sell tutorials and um, run workshops um, for my landscape photography. And I've just started to be able to do that, which I'm blown away by. Um, and I love that I can do that. Um, and so if it doesn't progress a crazy amount, you know, I'll always, I'll push, keep pushing to make it my full-time thing. But if it doesn't, and I still get to just do these occasional, you know, tutorials or um, workshops and stuff like that, and just supplement it with something else, then I'm grateful for that too. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I have a point where it's like, I'll be satisfied, you know, every, just everything that comes along, I'm grateful for. And um, if that, continues to increase then i'm even more grateful what is that workshop um yeah so i mean i ran one in kayama um in april this year with just a couple of guys um but then next year 
I'm running a five-day workshop in the Blue Mountains. So that area that I mentioned earlier, which my grandparents um, lived in, and um, I would frequently visit them as a child. Uh, so yeah, we'll be staying up there for five days. We're going to be staying in their old house. Um, they'll be yeah moving moving soon. Um, and yeah, just spending five days just really uh, exploring the area. Uh, there's so many different options. There's waterfalls, there's canyons, there's um, vistas. Um, uh, we'll be there in autumn to catch that autumn color. Um, I apologize for the person mowing outside, by the way, as well. You almost definitely <laughs> can hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll be doing that. And it's just, you know, I have such a connection to the area um, just through pure nostalgia and uh, fond memories for like, you know, a decade of visiting my grandparents there. And so I'm really excited to be able to show people around and just help elevate their um, photography and their editing um, over the course of five days. Um, yeah, and I found that I'm really passionate about helping people improve. Um, and when I can help people do that and I see that tangibly, it's really exciting because, um, you know, I've only got other people who've given up, you know, their knowledge um, in the past to thank uh, for where I am now as well. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited, really excited to be able to do that. Who are some of those people? Um, yeah, when it comes to inspiration, I've got a very, very mixed bag these days. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, the kind of, and still some of my biggest inspirations would be people like Ted Gore, um, Aaron Barbnik, Enrico Fassati. And, you know, those guys are um, like most people's top three, I'd say. And um, that was especially when I was really big on shooting the wide angle stuff, which I really, I still am these days. Um but yeah, it's you know it's diversified further into more abstract stuff. I really love TJ's work, TJ Thorne um, and Alex Noriega as well. Probably in most people's inspiration lists as well. Um, but then even just a lot of smaller guys, like I think there's a guy called Matt Oliver, I think over in the UK. Um, who else? Uh, just just lots of people who have just like small accounts on Instagram and stuff who have maybe between five hundred and three thousand followers that just have some of the most creative work. Um, there's a guy over in, I can't remember which country, maybe Spain, called Cesar Laniza. And he does just the most psychedelic portraits of rocks and leaves. And it's not something that like I kind of create personally, but just the creativity and how he does it just really inspires me to push my own boundaries. Um, and then, you know, on the complete other end of the spectrum, there's people like Pablo Ruiz Garcia, who does these incredible, you know, multi-row portrait panoramas that um, I want to get into as well. Um, and then older photographers as well, like Peter Dom, um, Dombrovskis is a Tasmanian photographer um, from a few decades ago. He's passed away now, um, but he'd shoot these amazing wilderness landscapes in Tasmania on like medium and large format film. Um, and it was a real pioneer, and I think he's one of the few Australian photographers to have been inducted into the um, International Photography Hall of Fame. And, yeah, so just, just a real mixed bag that uh, means I'm not just getting stuck in this one genre that I'm obsessed with, um, and I've, I'm just always kind of seeing these other ways of interpreting the natural world and, um, yeah, always wondering how I can incorporate that into my own techniques and practices. How do you incorporate it and, and make it your own? 
Um, I think I'm at the point today where I know I, I have, I still have my own distinct style and I've, I've come to be comfortable with that. And so, um, yeah, I, I know I might try something that is out of my bo- out of the box for me and it might not work to start with, but then eventually if I keep practicing, then it'll, um, you know, become, you know, more, more part of how I do things. So it's really, I, I don't necessarily cull things based on it being within my style or not because i think most of the time things i naturally produce most of the photos i naturally produce are within my style um because that's just you know how my my creativity plays out but um i think once i do click with it then i just i I incorporate it and if it's not part of my style then i'll start to make it part of my thing um you know, like two years ago, two and a half years ago, intimates, intimate portraits of rocks and stuff like that were not, were not my thing, but I've just became obsessed with doing them and just love shooting them. And now they're an integral part of um, my photography. So um, yeah. And, you know, like with taking inspiration from Pablo Ruiz Garcia and stuff like that, of people who shoot that panoramic style, um, I've just ordered a leveling base for my tripod so I can actually pursue that, um, that format of shooting and you know while it may not be quite what i'm people associate with me for the time being um i'd be i'd 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 feel like i just enjoy the creativity and pushing myself um and so yeah and it comes back to shooting for myself and not for a reputation or anything like that and so it's um i'm always looking to expand uh, my abilities in that way it's funny, like going through your portfolio before we jumped on the, the call, um, I found myself gravitating towards the Geomorph portfolio. What was the mm. intent behind putting that together and, and working on a group, a collection of images mm. as a, a cohesive visual experience? Yeah, well, so that was actually the case. That gallery was the case study that I used for my article on flow state. I thought so. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. So um, most of that gallery, so I think maybe 25 or so photos, was captured in the space of two hours in um, in the Royal National Park, right near, about 40 minutes from me. Um, and, yeah, so kind of leading up to that point of shooting all those rocks, um those rock formations and stuff. Uh, I'd hiked through there several times. I was in a bit of a creative rut. And, but so I was really just enjoying hiking without the camera um, for the sake of exercise and hanging out with people. Um, but I just like, I'd walk over these particular sections with these colorful rocks and stuff and cool, like flowing sandstone. And it just like built up in my mind's eye. And eventually I just, I just couldn't resist going in and, um, not that I was resisting, I suppose, but I just um, came to the point where I wanted to put the effort to hike in purely for the sake of taking photos of sandstone. Um, and so, yeah, the day after hiking in one time, I just went in with my with my girlfriend on a sunny um, Sunday afternoon and um, I just took like 500 raw photos of these this stone um, that's like the these sandstone cliffs that have these amazing varied textures and formations and colors and um yeah ended up putting that and a few others that were stuck in the hard drives and deserved to see the light of day and um made a cohesive gallery out of it 
you know, what's the dynamic there? Your, your girlfriend waiting on you to finish. Um, I, I know what it's like when I go out and shoot with my wife. Uh, mm. She's not into photography at all. We'll put it that way. Mm. And, um, you know, waiting on me to shoot. Mm. Likewise, you know, 500 images of, of rocks can be a tedious a tedious thing for somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm um I'm very grateful for her. She's really patient and um you know, she she knows that I love it and she can see me just having a great time and just getting excited about, you know, sandstone. Um and so yeah, she just will chill out and have her own time and take some photos with her phone and just leave me to it. Um and I'll I'll be a bit courteous for her as well. Like I probably could have spent longer than what i did but um yeah i think she's she's really good i definitely could have it worse because you know i've been on family holidays um you know with my family and like i've been in canada and new zealand with them and they'll just be hurrying me along as we're walking past like mountains and stuff i'm like but but let me take photos please (laughs) so i have very much seen the other side of that um but i'm very grateful for her she's she's really good with just being patient and letting me do my thing so yeah what do your parents say now? I mean, you, you told us you were that kid who was pestering them to, to take you out for a sunrise shoot early in the morning. Now that mm. they see your success and you're starting mm. to achieve the goals that you set out to do as a landscape mm. photographer, what do they think now? Oh, they're really supportive. You know, they, um, you know, they know that's what I'm passionate about and they, you know, they, they see that for the past five or so years, I've just been improving myself and working on it really hard. And they can see that, you know, there's been tangible improvements, um, in terms of, uh, just being able to attain it as a goal, um, you know, career wise. Um, so yeah, they've always been really supportive. Um, I remember the day that I decided to, um, cancel my uni enrollment um so i made it (laughs) so i took a gap year after high school just working and stuff saving up some money um just taking photos and all that and then the year after that i was meant to start this photography course at university um so i went to this i went to the orientation day at the university and i made it two hours into that i knew it wasn't for me (laughs) so they went for lunch break and i just left um and I, i went straight so this is in like right in the city in sydney um, and a couple of train station stops down was this camera store that I ended up working for the next year. So I went there just on a complete whim, no resume in my backpack and just was like, I want a job. And I got an interview on the spot and was working there within a week. Um, wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was, it was meant to be, I think. And um, just complete hit of inspiration. I was just sitting in that uni auditorium and I was just like, this is not where I'm meant to be. Um, this is not what I'm meant to do with the next three years of my life. Why and did you, what made you feel that way? Oh, I just, it just felt off. Like, I don't know, just, I think like university, you know, it's required for a lot of careers. You know, if you want to be an engineer or something like that, you can't not get a degree, but I don't know. I, th- I feel like a lot of people feel like you need, just need to be churned out by the school machine and just follow that path um, and spend, you know, create this <laughs> debt because uh, in Australia, we're, we're lucky we don't have to pay university outright. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, yeah, put yourself in tens of thousands of dollars of debt, even if maybe you don't, you can find alternate ways into this career. Um, and so I was just kind of there, like, I don't need to be part of this um, process. Like, I can make it work on my own. Um, yeah. 
and there was just like this over enthusiastic uni <laughs> like this uh like a head of directors or whatever it was just like this older guy who was just like yelling like it was a wrestling announcer um <laughs> and then this person would come up and talk in like this robotic voice about the course details and stuff i was like this just feels wrong um so yeah i did that and then i went home and was quite apprehensive um to tell my parents um because you know like my mum and dad they put a bit of an emphasis on high school to you know so that we have options you know they they're they're great and they're very supportive but they're also like you know um it's good to give yourself options in case something doesn't work out and so having had that background of them putting emphasis on school um i was apprehensive about telling them i was dropping out of uni but my mum especially you know like i i told her and she could see my passion for it and she knew that um i was passionate about it from you know several years and she was yeah very happy for me and was like i believe you can make it work and um yeah and i've and i've been doing that for the past few years now so um yeah I, i'm very grateful to have had their support which has been really good what did they do for careers um yes my, my dad's actually a, a minister at a local church here um okay. so i grew up in that and my mom is a teacher at a local high school okay okay yeah yeah so, I, I didn't know if they had gone the same route of, of trying to make something work for themselves or, you know, mm. people's reaction to something new like that can can mm. vary greatly, of course. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, I guess my dad sort of had to do the same thing when he, you know, because he started his own church and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's like within, within um, a, you know, not his own like kind of branch, I guess, but like his own little local church. So he had mm-hmm. to kind of go through that entrepreneurship um aspect i suppose but and my grandfather so my mom's dad um was he created his own caravan company back in the day which is really successful so i think i've take gotten a bit of his um uh like his kind of entrepreneurship and businessman sort of style um because then he he wasn't a big school guy i think he flunked out of school and at like 15 or whatever um, and, you know, naturally school was very different back, you know, 60 years ago in Australia, 50 years ago. But, um, yeah, I think I, I've inherited that a bit from him and he's um, been really excited to see me go that direction. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think they just knew that I, I had the passion to make it work and to and the drive to put the effort in that was required. You know, it's funny. I see a, a lot of younger people go that route. Um, I myself, you know, look back at, at university and I loved the experience. I had a great time and mm. met a lot of great people who I'm still friends with today. But at the same mm. time, don't use my degree. Um, mm. Didn't know what I wanted to do the entire four years I was there and have mm. often had the same thought, you know, if I, if I hadn't have gone, I would be four years further down the road than mm. I am right now y- using what we have at our fingertips, like internet and, and the learning resources that we have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, yeah, I think some, some industries it's really doesn't require that degree. If you've, if you've got the know-how, like if you're a photographer, if you're a videographer, if you're into code, if you're all that, all those kind of things, if you have the ability, then people will hire you. They don't, 
they won't hire someone with a degree with subpar ability over someone who knows the, what they've been doing and have been doing it since they were eight years old and but just never went to school for it you know like i think there are certain professions where people don't care about the piece of paper and will just will hire based on ability um so yeah i think that was kind of my approach to it on the flip side mm. people like the name you mentioned earlier aaron babnick who did go to mm. school for um mm art history and, and studied mm. photography has mm. an, an enormous knowledge range of not yeah. only what, what goes into to the art theory of photography, but also the historical background into mm. why we are where we are right now. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really fascinating. Like I, if I was to study, I probably would do something like that just to enrich in my own knowledge of what I do, you know, um, as a passion and sort of half a career. Um, and you know, I think stuff like that, um, is really good for Cause you know, she does a lot of paid talks and conferences and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that, that naturally very much plays into that career wise, I think. Um, and you know, I, I love, you know, reading her articles and, um, finding out how much she has to say, and what she knows about all that art history and theory. Um, and yeah, she's a real master when it comes to all of that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely uh, intrinsic value in a lot of things that can be found at university and college and all of that. Uh, but I just don't think it may, for some people, um, or a lot of more people than some realize, it's not completely necessary. Where can people go to find more out about you? Um, yeah, so my website, benmaysfineart.com. Um, so I've got all my landscape photography stuff there, um, my services and galleries and all of that. Um, I'm on Instagram as well at benjamin.mays. I'm on Twitter at, I think, benjaminmays1. I'm still yet to figure out how to, how to change my Twitter username. Um, <laughs> it was just like the auto-generated one that Twitter gave me when I signed <laughs> up. Um, so Benjamin Mays one, uh, I think I'm on 500 PX, but I never use it anymore. So yeah. Uh, and Facebook as well. Ben Mays photography. I've got a Facebook page on there. Um, and I kind of use that for both my property photography and landscape photography. Um, I do some wedding stuff as well. So it's, it's mostly my landscapes plus a mixed bag of the other stuff I do just as money earners. Well, so, Ben, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and talking photography with us um, in the future. You're you're like 12 hours in the future for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Saturday at 3.12 currently. So, <laughs> yeah, it's late at night for you now, I think. Friday night at 10.12 p.m. Yeah, good stuff. Bedtime. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me on, David. Enjoyed the chat. So you just listened to Ben Mays talk about his photography and his kind of journey and path into photography and his growth, hoping to become a full-time landscape photographer in the future. Now, if you want bonus material on some of the stuff that Ben and I talk about, not only about being a younger photographer, but also um, dealing with 
you know, the creative outlets, the creative blocks, the creative flows, all these things, you know, we dive that much deeper into in the Patreon bonus audio. If you go to patreon.com slash David Johnston, you can sign up for a tier that fits your budget, five, 10 or $20 a month. And with that, you get access to the bonus audio from Ben's interview, this interview, and you also get access to all the backlog audio from when we started Patreon, all those guests, there's a backlog of audio so you can spend hours and hours going through the bonus audio material on that too. Also, each tier gives you access to bonus material beyond just the podcast. So sign up for that. Again, it's patreon.com slash David Johnston, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.